In the kitchen of a fancy restaurant, molecular gastronomy is deployed to turn tonight's menu into a deadly weapon. Drowning in a cocova, the sous chef knots their apron with a peculiar twist. Is it a clue to the murder? Is it a hint at the motive? No, it's Dying Message, the detective anime mystery podcast. Dying Message, where each week we watch detective anime along with a mystery guest. Today's case, Detective Academy Q, Episode 22, Dinner of the Dead. I'm your lead investigator, Noah Max Levine, not to be confused with my cousin, the arborist Noah Max Levine, who is a leaf investigator. I don't think that's a real person. <laughs> I've been to your brother's wedding. You don't have a cousin <laughs> whose name is the same as yours, except their last name is pronounced differently? No, because my last name is Svitsky, and the professional skiers in my family don't have to pronounce it differently. Well, you know, I'm just doing the best I can here. <laughs> so, if you're joining us for the first time on this podcast, we're watching detective anime. We're going to talk through it and spoil the ending, so if you want to watch it and have the surprise for yourself, make sure you catch up first. And uh, as you've seen, sometimes I make very, very bad jokes. Now, joining me is our resident anime expert, Michael Savitsky. And to demonstrate why I gave you that title, I'm going to be very invasive for a second. Oh, my. We've lived together for almost three years. Uh-huh. And, th- and this morning, I seemed like you were singing an anime theme song in the shower. I often do. <laughs> you, what, what of it? What were you singing today? Uh, Raise Your Flag, one of the theme songs to uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. And the other thing I want to point out is I actually wrote that last week when I heard you sing in the chat on Sunday morning, and then we didn't record it until this week, and it was still true. Great. I'm not embarrassed. I'm fine. So, uh, Michael, what have you got for us today? Well, today, since we have such a food-full uh, episode, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Yoshoku, uh, which doesn't really appear in this episode, but it's, it's, uh, you'll see it in anime a lot. It actually, they went to a family restaurant that would serve Yoshoku in the first episode of this anime. I don't know what Yoshoku is. So it's like a Japanese take on Eastern style food. Uh, I'll go ahead and credit David Farley uh, with BBC's tra- uh, travel website for putting this in my brain. I read this article a few, uh, about a week ago. Uh, and basically, you're probably familiar with uh, katsu, uh-huh. like uh, the fried cutlets of chicken or yeah. pork. So that's like a Western food with a very unique... Japanese spin on it. It's commonly served at these specific like American style restaurants in Japan. Uh, I'm sure you've seen omuraisu, uh, uh-huh. the omelets with rice in it. Uh, let's see what else. Oh God, I always think of uh, spaghetti napolitan as being something I remember cooking in Cooking Mama, where they like cook pasta and then they wash it and then saute it with vegetables and put like a ketchup sauce on it. So basically, it's like when we take another foreign cuisine and americanize it right but they've taken our cuisine and japanized it japanized it (laughs) japanified it (laughs) oh yeah apparently it it has its origins and this is from the article in the uh the 1800s during the uh, meiji restoration period Mm. where you know japan was finally open and european and american travelers were coming in for the first time and bringing their food along with them that's a great lead-in to introducing our guest because I feel like she could jump in on that conversation. So I'm really excited to have her today. As you mentioned, there's, there's food in this episode. It's the key clue to solving this mystery. So let's get some help on this. 
Our mystery guest this episode is the Emmy-nominated host of Check, Please, Philly on WHYY, a show which explores dining throughout the greater Philadelphia area. She is a food and travel editor with USA Today 10 Best, with a particular interest in the historical cultural context of cuisine, and one time, she solved the stinky mystery of who pooped in the kitchen sink. I've cracked the case. It's Kaylani Palmisano. Hey! Also, I am so glad that you learned that tidbit about uh, Japanese food and, you know, using American kind of dishes and, you know, made their own variation of it from David Farley, because I gotta admit, uh, David, like the food and travel writing community is quite small. And David Farley is definitely one of my early mentors who definitely kind of showed me the importance and how fun it can be of exploring the history of of food um, and how food is more than just what's on the plate. So I'm so glad that you read his BBC article. <laughs> that is so quint. I really was not trying uh, to do anything <laughs> like that. So that's really cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I love food in anime. It is so beautiful. It looks way more delicious than it really is in real life. They have they they even animate new physics into the food. Like when you're cutting the when they're cutting the food, it just it's gorgeous. I always think of the Studio Ghibli movies. They almost always seem to be cooking breakfast of some kind, be it like the biggest, softest pancakes you ever saw or yes. like giant eggs with super thick bacon. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of Studio Ghibli, you can't watch those movies uh, hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, we've been watching, of course, Bake Off and things like that recently and always. And you notice that there's a problem with cakes and gravity so if you don't have to have gravity, like, imagine what you can create. <laughs> so, Kehlani, Check, Please, Philly is your show on WHYY. You bring in three people from around the city, and they bring in on their favorite restaurants. So the question I had about that, you're also eating the food, right? Yes, yeah. We all, prior to the taping, we all go, and it's kind of a like secret diner situation. We all go to the restaurant separately on our own time. Um, we have a meal. We try as much as we can. We try different drinks. We do appetizers, entrees. We encourage people to get dessert if they have room. And we just really take in the whole entire dining experience. And then we go into the studio and we all talk about it. Well, more or less like I'm facilitating the conversation. Right. I go and I eat at every single single one of these restaurants because it helps me pick out, you know, particular things. Like if I notice that there's a fireplace in the restaurant, I might bring that up in the conversation to see, oh, well, what did you think of the fireplace? Or what did you think of the decor? And oh, did you try, especially like I, when I go, I try to get um, what the most popular dishes are because there's a chance that one of the guests has tried that dish too. And it helps me remember the particular dishes, what the, what was on the menu for that season. Uh, so that's why I generally go, but I'm not talking about my experience and what right. I noticed. I might weave in information about the restaurant. Uh, I try to interview as many chefs and the owners as po as much as possible to say like, oh, hey, w was this dish inspired by a family recipe? Uh, like where, where did you come up with this uh, restaurant concept? And I try to weave that into the conversation, but it's a really 
really good time. Uh, the people, like you had mentioned, they they come from all different backgrounds. They're from all different areas of the region, all the way down from Delaware, South Jersey to like Bucks County. Um, as far as New Hope, we had one restaurant in New Hope that we sent guests wow. to. And um, yeah, they all come in and it's so fun to talk about food. And we've had people actually exchange food phone numbers after <laughs> the taping of the episode and like they've become friends so it, it is fun to watch people and watch people bond over food yeah um we we watched the episode with rex 15 and rubino's oh yeah in there rex 15 16 and i really enjoyed like you said the interviews with the chefs and kind of getting some of the background on where the recipes came from and I also thought you were talking about how well things are drawn in anime, but the way your crew films the food was very appetizing. Yeah, I got to really hand it to like the producers, Caitlin Corkery and Sarah Moses, who go out to the restaurants because after we're done in the studio, based off of what we talk about, that gives the producers the idea of like, okay, this is what we're going to film when we get there. So they coordinate, you know, that takes place after the fact. So if someone's talking about, you know, an omelet, they're going to ask the chef, well, can you prepare this omelet? And then they just do this amazing job of filming i i joked i was like if there was an emmy category specifically for food (laughs) photography and food videography we'd likely get that nomination too (laughs) because the show the show got two nominations this year it was only its first season and then i got nominated for um the talent so we'll find out later on if uh we win any emmys this year but yeah um that's a really common comment of like how well the food is shot and it is is. it's done very very well and to sort of reverse small world you uh for before uh you mentioned your producer caitlin corkery who was my improv 201 teacher <laughs> oh yeah yeah she's deep within the community yes <laughs> <laughs> so it all it all comes together um and w- when we were chatting about having you on the show i also learned that you are a fan of anime i am oh my goodness and Ever since I'd say the fourth grade, it was we were going right before summer break and the boys were all talking about this cartoon Dragon Ball Z. And I was like, what's what's Dragon Ball Z? And so they're telling me all about it. So I decided that evening to go home and see it for myself. And it was like a Friday. So the first thing that I had seen was actually the was a Tree of Life was one of the DBZ movies. I don't quite remember, but it wasn't a traditional episode. It was the movie and I was hooked. I was hooked on that tsunami block. But I felt like, you know, it wasn't what girls watched. It wasn't for girls. Mm. So I would legit, like, I kept it secret for years. Like, I'm talking about, I kept my anime love secret until high school. So from fourth grade through 11th and 12th grade, I was not talking about anime to anyone. I had one friend, though. Who knew that I really enjoyed anime? But yeah, I would go to as far as like draw the curtains when I was about to watch the tsunami <laughs> block. Like, like who would care? But now I look back and I'm like, I wish I had actually embraced that part of myself because I probably would have had 
more friends who had similar interests and everything. But I did have one friend who, funny enough, her name was Jessica Rodriguez. I'll never forget this. Her name was Jessica Rodriguez. She was 15 minutes older than me. We were born on like the same (laughs) day. And she was so enthusiastic about her love of anime that she would talk about it in school. She would draw it on all of her notebooks. She really loved Gundam Wing. That was her favorite. And any every day when Gundam Wing ended before DBZ began, she would call me on that commercial break very briefly to talk about the show every single day. And I do. I actually miss I miss uh, those phone calls deeply. <laughs> That's so cool. I haven't thought about it. And obviously, like anyone of any gender can watch any anime, but they, there is specifically like the boys anime and the girls anime. And what we've re- mostly got in the US is the stuff that's aimed at like young boys. Oh, yeah. And there's there's so many like right now, my husband and I are watching Evangelion. That's a phenomenal cartoon. I don't know what gender it was supposed to be geared toward. Or even if it was supposed to be geared towards kids, it seems very adult. But like, it's it's, sure not. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's, it's a it's a really like the storytelling also too. It's funny because we started watching that. And then my husband made me watch that Pacific Rim movie. And I was like, Oh my god, it's just the same thing. It's the same concept <laughs> they did take a lot of ideas from ava for, <laughs> yeah they uh, did pacific rim yeah um but i love like the whole genre and how it encapsulates so many things you've got really obscure anime like fully coolie gosh but yeah i i have a deep respect also for the type of storytelling it they like sometimes they hit on topics especially like the studio ghibli movies the the way the stories are constructed are so vastly different than the than the way we construct stories in the United States. So it is kind of cool to also see the cultural differences of how stories are told. For sure. Totally. Which is what one of the things that's kind of interesting about the detective anime that we're trying to feature on this podcast is because you can trace it back to Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie and kind of Western detective stories. So it ends up in this interesting kind of blend of anime mystery all this stuff put together oh i can definitely see that i can see that but honestly if i could have one critique i feel like there were way too many characters (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of and and each character feels like they're from their own anime universe you've got like the Mm. very bubbly pink haired girl you've got the taller like brusky mansley man guy who reminds me of the the dude from uh, evangelion because he's got kind of like that big jacket and white top ponytail yeah uh so it just feels like there's a lot of a lot of characters coming in from a lot of different genres yeah I guess Kazuma was kind of like the nerdy kid, too. They both have very similar hair and glasses, now that I think of it. Mm -hmm. Right out of Evangelion. Who knew? (laughs) Um, And the other thing I got to ask you about is mysteries. TV shows, books, podcasts, murder mystery dinner parties. What kind of mysteries are you into, if any? I I love it all. I love good psycho thrillers. I've actually gotten into, like, reading... I, I call them, like, they're not trash books, though. Like, the psycho-thriller novels, it started with um, The Wife Between Us, which, like, I thought was going to be, like, trashy, <laughs> huh? but then it ended up being this really, uh, really in-depth, like, psychological, like, husband was psychologically manipulating this one woman and it, crazy stories like that. And then um, 
the girl on the train, which I think they made a movie out yeah. of. Um, I read that, and right now I'm reading Anonymous Girl, so do not spoil anything for me. But you know, in terms <laughs> of yeah, I love the entire anything that's um true crime. Like I do love. I have watched almost every good true crime documentary docu-series there's and to the point where i'm now like trying to find more because i've watched nearly all of them and and television shows uh, yeah i think it all kind of started back with like shows like monk psych and even house to an extent because they were yeah. shows that were i guess like maybe I know house was like an hour long and maybe monk was like an hour long, but it was like almost down to the minute, the time mark where it was so formulaic that you knew that at the end, like the last 15 minutes, they'd solve the mystery. And it's always like the (laughs) one person solving the mystery. It's never like, it's never someone else stumbling upon solving it, but I guess they all, like you said, uh, stem back from that Sherlock Holmes formula. Yeah. Monk, in particular, Mike and I were recently talking about the fact that we both watched Monk a lot. <laughs> but you have that kind of... Um, he's antisocial in a different way than Sherlock Holmes, but like kind of loner, brilliant, but misunderstood, detective. Always has uh, aide slash uh, assistant Watson character. Yes. I will say I didn't watch Psych ever. I kind of wish I had looking back because... So on USA, I watched The Dead Zone a lot, and Psych was so clearly a parody of their own TV show that I was too bitter about it to watch. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, I don't really quite remember the premise. I feel like he wasn't actually, I don't think he was actually psychic. I think he was just extremely, like he was trained as a kid by his father to be able to scan a room and pick up every single little detail in the room so that like he could kind of construct what had happened. Um, I think that's how, I think that's that was the gist of it. I don't quite remember. He was just extremely observant, but in order to get people to, you know, take him seriously, he would pretend to be a psychic. Which yeah. Is actually a little bit like the murder in the crooked house uh, detective mm. a little bit. Um Great job bringing that up, Michael. We'll talk about that more at the end of the episode because next week we're doing our uh, spinoff, which is uh, Dying Message Challenge, where we're taking this book that Michael mentioned, Murder in the Crooked House, and turning it into a comedy game show. (laughs) (laughs) Fun. Um, So we'll tell you all more about that. And other things to look forward to at the end of the episode, we have an audience email question. You can always email your own questions to dyingmessagepodcast at gmail.com. And I have one last question for you, Kalani, before we start talking about the episode, which is to take these two things, anime, mysteries, put them together, detective anime, what have you, what's your experience? Uh, I didn't realize that it was a, like a, its own genre um, until you sent me the link to the show. But um, my husband did start playing that video game where I think you're trying to solve a uh, a case and it, it's from the popular meme where they say objection like ah uh, phoenix right okay yes. thank you thank you which is funny because they made another game with the similar formula that's uh 
Harvey Birdman, but I digress. They did. Yes. <laughs> that was a direct parody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've we've been playing both, and it is. But he plays it like in bed, and I'll sometimes watch along, and um, it's very in depth. Uh, Noah used to play Phoenix Wright in bed and call it reading. Yeah, it is essentially reading. It, you're, <laughs> it is reading. It, it's an active reading, choose your own adventure mystery novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the mysteries are off the wall. The characters are off the wall. It's 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 a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, today we are talking about episode twenty two of Detective Academy Q. Michael, remind us what is Detective Academy Q? Sure. So Detective Ad- Academy Q is essentially uh, the aforementioned group of too many characters. Uh, to feel like they're all from divergent animes, and they go to this detective school, uh, DDS, the Don Detective School. Uh, where they're essentially learning to be learning to be detectives, they they act as detectives, and we're led to believe that off screen they're learning about it, uh, in order to succeed him as like the the chief investigator helping out the Japanese police. Yeah, it's it's all of that and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing about Detective Academy Q is this episode is like the halfway point for us. So we've done twelve episodes twelve episodes of our podcast covering this. We've got twelve more. Uh, it's a pretty exciting milestone to reach. And along with this milestone, we have new opening song and new ending song for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kailani, I want to ask you first, what, what did you think of this song, Lovely Merry-Go-Round? The, the lyrics were going all over the place, but what stood out <laughs> to me the most was the interlude had some ska elements. Like, the trumpets started hitting in, and I was like, no way! It's very ska, like, very Jersey Shore in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my take was ska with an element of like a children's song because they're counting and doing the ABCs. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that oh, because yeah. the other use of this song in popular Japanese culture was to advertise Happy Meals on McDonald's commercials. Wait, this song in particular? Are you serious? Yes. Wow. I, you can you can find, uh, if you Google it, the, the commercial where they use this song. Uh, yeah, and this, this group, uh, Peepo Angels... Uh, is just about the most corporately forced formed group you can think of. It's a group of four ma- models put together by a fashion magazine in order to uh, to form this singing group. Yeah, uh, The music video is literally them in a stark white room with racks of what I would call the loudest clothing I've ever <laughs> okay. seen in my life, just trying on outfits. Not on a merry-go-round. Not on a merry-go-round. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Images that stand out to people from the new opening? Uh, I liked when they were eating and talking about vitamins in the song. They, they all just ate food. <laughs> oh, yeah. Feed them in. Uh, there were way more skirt shots than in the previous uh, one. It's a common theme with Megu, but like there was maybe one in the previous song, and now there's like eight. It seemed like they, they got very excited for the new types of animation technology that they, they maybe acquired for if this intro, because wasn't there this kind of Doom-like sequence where you were going through like gray tunnels almost? Oh, yeah, there was. Yeah, yeah and then there's a labyrinth at the end. Yes. And they did a little bit of that uh, in one of the previous episodes, too, where they were going through a sort of CG hallway a little bit. Yeah. Oh, it was the yeah on the roof of the... The weird building that they yes. on the island. Yeah. Um, in our podcast episode seven, we cover the the murder mysteries on this island with a locked room, and they like do a CG pan through the room, mm-hmm. uh, which was pretty neat. There were, the image that I liked the best. They're like all sitting on two scales of justice. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, 
it's on Phoenix Wright's pin, right? The Scales of Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I wrote down, because it's Q, Megu, and Ryu on one side, and Kinta and Kazuma on the other side, and it's like perfectly balanced like a seesaw. <laughs> so I'm like, what are their weights <laughs> that it balances out? Kinta is surprisingly dense. Unsurprisingly dense? I digress. But we'll have this song for a, a, bit, a bit of time, so it's, it's nice to have a new song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So before we dive in, Kehlani, you mentioned that there's this ragtag band of characters. Their teacher is there and along for the ride, but she doesn't do much. Um, Katagiri Shino, just their teacher at the school. Um, But you mentioned, I think, the two characters, Megu, who's the girl with pink hair and a photographic memory, and Kinta, who's the tall one. What did you you make of Q, Kazuma, and Ryu? So Q is the kind of... The main character. The main character. (laughs) With no traits. Ryu has the blue hair. Right. And Cosmos computer guy. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I, I like, yeah, I, I could have deduced that each person has their own, like, superpower skill. Who was the one who was super hyper? I don't know what his skill was all about, except for <laughs> being like, you're right. Like, I, I, he was like the confirmation person. That is Q, that the, is Q. T- the titular character of the anime. You would probably not necessarily have deduced he was the main character. Not, not from this does. episode. <laughs> um, yeah, they really let Ryu solve this one. Yeah. Does Now, now I, this was the only episode I had watched. Do other people yeah. solve mysteries in other episodes, or is it always Ryu? Yes and no. They've had episodes that kind of feature more on other characters. Often Q will get the last word in mm-hmm. um, and Ryu will solve like a portion of it. But they're, they're not rivals cause they're friendly, but they have the kind of that rival energy where like one will solve it and they'll kind of go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And you saw that in this one where Q was kind of trying to catch up to Ryu who had already solved it. Ryu is kind of like, if you've ever been in a class where you're always the one who uh-huh. raises your hand and you don't want to always raise your hand, you want to let other people answer once in a while. Well, I love there's one point in the episode where they're like, Ryu, you've already solved it, haven't you? And instead of answering them, <laughs> he just turns and silently looks out the window. <laughs> and I think that's pretty uh, instructive of the character. So the first thing we got to talk about is how they stumble upon this murder, because we've talked, we've, we've alluded today to like Monk and Psych, and I feel like in the past we've alluded to Murder, She Wrote. And it's that thing of just stumbling on a murder everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. So today they're just out on a hike. Yeah, and it's it's kind of fun. And they hear the sirens and it's it's weird because it's like, oh, you're weirdly in the right place at the right time. But they also roll up on the house and there's like kind of a crowd and they instantly know it's a murder scene. And I'm like, how do you know it's, how do you know? And I'm just surprised <laughs> that the police just allowed a group of kids into this murder scene with the body. Yeah, <laughs> that's the premise of the show. And Ryu comes up and like feels the body's neck to, to verify that it's been, yep. that the guy's been dead for a few days. They try to semi-justify it by like the idea that DDS is like super famous for helping the police. So they sort of have sway if they announce they're from DDS, but also it makes no sense. Yeah. So there's this detective there who kind of enables them all along the way. Let's cover the crime scene. Mm-hmm. So what they see when they come in. Um, the victim's name is Johnson Itsuki. We're told he's a food connoisseur. And he... he Whatever that know, means. He publishes articles. He's on TV. He does some of that stuff. 46 years old, strangled to death, kind of slumped over on the body. Um, he's been dead for two or three days. So it's currently Saturday that he was killed on Wednesday or Thursday. But the food on the table in front of him is less than day old. And there are seven unique dishes. 
because the soup has not yet congealed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a good sign for a soup. <laughs> what were everyone's thoughts when they saw this setup? I don't know that I really understood what was going on, which is the whole point, but like why there would be food on a table in front of a dead person. You know, I, I felt like at first it was malicious that like, oh yeah, like someone murdered him and then was like here's your food like i I imagine you know those people that send dishes back to the kitchen a lot like do the chefs feel that way (laughs) 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 perfect meal um but it it, you know animation wise the food looked just okay and for food to be (laughs) such a big plot device I was like, oh, they're, they're really missing out on the opportunity to get in some like good food physics or make the food look appealing. But I guess it's not supposed to look appealing because at this point, the food is a day or so old. Yeah. Right? And we'll find out later, it's even less appealing than it even looks. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah, I looked at it and I was like, they were all arranged in a circle around one in the center. And I started thinking, well, like, is it a dying message? Is this like a clock? Like, what's, yeah. was, he, was he trying to say well, something? Well, it's not something the victim did because it was actually yeah. cooked after he died, yep. which, right, that would be the first thought. It's like, maybe he cooked this meal in his way to leave a message. But no, 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 no. And you were saying there's too many characters. Well, let's bring in four more characters. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, especially in a one episode murder mystery like we're getting right now to have four suspects just kind of in and they're they're never going to be seen again. It's it's hard to keep track for sure. These four suspects, they're all gathered in the next room. They're conveniently also the only people who knew that uh, this guy was staying at this house. It's like a secluded cabin in the woods. Um, so first, let's kind of go through who they all are and then we'll go through the meat of the mystery, which is the statement that each of them gives. Nice food words. Wow, I, it's <laughs> it, it's just something that happens. When we were doing the ocean one and I talked about diving, it's just, I'll try to play it up. Okay. Uh, I radish the opportunity to go into this further. Wait, let's go back and not do that. <laughs> okay. The first suspect is Ichiro Murano, who is the caretaker of the house. And I read he was very low energy. Yeah. At a vest and a, like a flannel shirt. So he's the first suspect. Then we have Ryosuke Omoro, who's a TV producer that the victim had been on his show. He's got kind of like that neck length hair. He's wearing a tie with like a geometric pattern. They're all very nicely dressed. Yeah. Well, they're also very generic. They're also very generic. Uh, Next is the victim's wife, Chizuku Tsuki. Smoking in front of children again. Yeah. She's wearing her pearls as well. Mm -hmm. And lastly, you have Hideo Akai, who has spiky hair, but I wrote that his getup made him look like a Mormon. (laughs) because <laughs> his hair was so like ni- neatly done and he mm-hmm. had just a white shirt and a dark color tie mm. are all salary men in japan mormons maybe i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> um so those those are the four suspects um did anything did any of them stand out to you as more suspicious or they're not particularly memorable mm. Mm, the wife was quite suspicious right from the get um yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was trying to watch the characters' faces, too, because the way when someone would answer a question, Ryu, like, it would pan to Ryu, and it would be <laughs> his close-up eyes, and his eyes would flash a little bit, and it would be like, ooh, is he catching on to an inconsistency? <laughs> I, I think she was definitely a bit suspicious, and then 
they were all just kind of equally suspicious as well. They all had kind of a reason, mostly. I feel like they were trying to serve her up a little bit too much as mm-hmm. the suspicious one, so oh, I yeah. immediately dismissed her. I was like, nope. Yeah. They want me to think that, so I'm not going <laughs> to. I wasn't that clever. I was like, oh, the wife did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a character with glasses is always suspicious. We'll have to find on, out who did it. On this show specifically, <laughs> for some reason. You're sitting here wearing glasses today. I don't find you suspicious. Well, that's a mistake. So let's go through their stories. So they each kind of came to the house at a different time. Um, and none of them really interacted with um, the, the victim. Mm-hmm. So the caretaker comes in every Saturday to deliver food. He says he wasn't there on the days that the murder was committed. He just came that Saturday morning. And when he got there, he found the other three suspects all standing outside of the door conveniently together. <laughs> And that, that's pretty much it. All of these things are also shown in flashback, which is really nice to, like, see what happens. And sometimes we get, like, fancy music and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, the TV producer, Ryosuke Omoro, he came on Wednesday morning at 10.30 a.m. for a meeting. Nobody came to the door, but he smelled coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also learned some kind of motive because he was going to cut the victim from his TV show. Yeah. It was also an explanation as to why he would come all the way out here in the middle of nowhere to talk to him and then leave without talking to him. Because Cosmo was like, why would you do that? And he's like, well, it was awkward. And Cosmo was like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no longer suspicious because, yeah, everybody goes to great lengths to avoid awkwardness. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) I mean, sometimes even I feel like one of the murders was just to avoid awkwardness. Not quite. Is that true? The art gallery murder. A little bit, a yeah, little when bit. you put it that way. It's like I could talk to this person about this terrible thing that happened years ago, or I could kill him. That did happen. Um, so, and the other thing he does is he bl- puts blame on the wife, on Chizuko, by saying, oh, she's really suspicious. Because mm-hmm, they're in the middle of a divorce. <laughs> That's a classic, classic setup. They're right in the middle of their divorce negotiations. So he had come Wednesday morning. She came Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. It was raining at the time. She thinks he was pretending not to be there to avoid her. And when she gets back to the hotel, lightning strikes and knocks out the circuit breaker at the hotel. She then, the next morning, has a run-in with um, our fourth suspect. And when he sees her, he tells her that he just got back on Thursday morning from visiting the house where the guy was snoozing. Mm -hmm. And he heard him snoozing. Hideo Akai, he he has a cooking magazine, and the victim wrote a script for a cooking manga in the magazine, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and his deadline is coming up, (laughs) which I thought was pretty interesting to have, like, this food guy write a script for a cooking manga. Yeah. Dream job. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So more or less in those stories um, is kind of the solution to the murder and some also other details that we have to tell you all about. They briefly discuss whether or not it could be a random person that just was like wandering through that killed the guy. But this is where Ryu does his thing. Yeah. Where he's like, no, I solved it, but I'm going to look this way now. <laughs> and he doesn't tell anyone what's going on. And they get to do this this fun bit of research where they're looking in cook, cookbooks and recipe books because he has tons of them in their house and they think that it is cooking related. And this is going to take us to, I think the most fun diversion we're ever going to have on this show because Megu figures out the secret of the dishes. Mm -hmm. She recognizes them all as being from a French cookbook by the victim's wife. 
And she identifies three of them specifically as the hors d'oeuvre, the main dish, and the soup mm-hmm. from that cookbook. And it's so funny because she doesn't recognize the dishes like as dishes, but when she looks at them at the right angle, she's like, oh, her photographic memory kicks in. And she's like, I've seen a photo that looks just like this from this cookbook, which is nonsense, yeah. but it's fun. As we're talking about like good food photography, I did. I felt like the pictures in the cookbook were more appetizing than the actual food they were portraying on the table. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that one. But there's probably, and now I got to give credit to the animators. There's probably a reason for that. <laughs> I tried my best uh, to disseminate what any of these dishes might be because the kanji was not uh, subtitled with furikana and it was all probably Japanese yeah. versions of French food. But I do know that the hors d'oeuvres was some kind of pear and clam dish. Yum. Uh, and then the, we had some kind of sautéed potatoes and beef dish and a cream stew. That's all I was able to get. Even when they said something was missing, I was like, what's missing? What could possibly be missing? And then they said, salad. It's the most like overlooked part of the meal, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what we looked up is that there's an eight course menu which is which includes hors d'oeuvre soup appetizer salad main course palate cleanser dessert and minardis m-i-g-n-a-r-d-i-s-e this is like you know that very formal french cuisine pronunciation wrong sorry <laughs> that's like the best thing i could give you on a podcast but i'm telling you i'm pronouncing it wrong um is a bite-sized dessert sometimes served at the end of a meal but we, i didn't see any dessert was there dessert there was something that looked like no. a, a croissant kind of thing, maybe. Oh, okay. I don't know if that was it. I'm definitely going to share th- some pictures of this meal on our, our Facebook. Mm-hmm. So if you want to stare at this and see if you can notice that a salad is missing <laughs> and try to figure out what is the dessert, <laughs> um, definitely do so. So the the salad being missing seems to be very significant. Mm-hmm. All right. You now have all of the clues that you need to solve the murder. <laughs> is is that true? Uh we we missed one very tiny minuscule thing of when they were surveying the room, the v- right. the VCR. Yeah, th- that was something that was pointed out when they talk about the solution and I didn't really notice it the first time I watched, but if you go back you can very clearly see that they're trying to show that to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I only picked up on it because I was confused as to why because it's partially covered by like the butt of a police officer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I did. That's what I clocked in that. I was like, why are we looking at this guy's butt? Oh, the VCR yeah. is thing. Okay. It's times like these I remember this anime is from 2003 and having a VCR in his home was not in and of itself a strange thing. <laughs> so let's let's solve the mystery ourselves. Let's do it. Let's figure this out and then, and then talk about how much sense this all makes. Mm-hmm. I do want to say, so Ryu says the victim's time of death, and he spells it out. The guy died between Wednesday afternoon and Thursday at noon. Mm -hmm. And then he does his finger point and points at the producer and said that he gave the false statement. Mm -hmm. Now, how did we know that he gave the false statement? Uh, Because he was taught, when he sort of was in passing with the ex-wife, he said uh, that he was there in the morning on Uh Thursday and that he heard him him snoring, uh, which can't be correct because we have reason to believe he was already dead. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a bunch of leaps in logic. Yeah, you here. have to, you have to leap ahead to the point where you know he was dead before the power outage in order for that to right. to be a false statement. The way they play this out I think makes it very easy to follow by doing this flashback. Mm-hmm. Um very dramatic. So this is the timeline. Let's spell it out there. The first thing that happens is that at 5:30 on Wednesday afternoon while it was raining, he was there and he killed the guy. Mm-hmm. Then he goes back to the hotel. During that interim, the power goes out, including in the cottage. 
Um, then the next morning, he tells the wife that he was just there and saw the guy and heard the guy snoring, implying he's still alive. But the thing is that he goes back to check on him, uh, like on that Friday, the next day. And that's when he discovers that the power has been off in that house for like over 24 hours mm-hmm. because it went out Wednesday night. Yep. And this leaves him to a very dramatic discovery of a stinky, stinky refrigerator. <laughs> a stinky mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Another stinky mystery. Um, and he doesn't want people to know that the power was out for so long because he suggested that the guy was still alive and he would have just turned the circuit breaker right back on. This is where I question, like, would produce really all go terribly bad in a day and a half in a closed fridge? It, it was very hot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key, is that it was hot enough to make everything heat up. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they had even mentioned the heat with how progressed his decomposition was. Oh, so it not only uh, made his decomposition faster, but also the tomatoes. Yeah. And he wants to get rid of the food so no one can tell it's rotten. Mm-hmm. But if he just throws it away, it'll be suspicious because it's empty. If he replaces it, it's suspicious because the guy who brought the food will notice it's new food. Mm-hmm. So what does he do? He makes a seven-course meal for a dead guy. Yep, using the cookbook written using by Using gross, wife. rotten food. Which, yeah, I guess <laughs> the, the he tried to plant the seed that the wife had done it because the dishes he had chosen were dishes from her cookbook. Mm-hmm. Right, there's a couple, like, fun details about this. And also the big question I have, which is, can you cook rotten food and no one would notice that it was rotten? Before if they're not going to eat it, maybe. Because that was the thing, like he fried it all and sautéed it and right. boiled it, so... And no one's going to eat it because it's left in front of a dead person. Mm-hmm. Right. And the dead don't eat. Well, I wish... I almost wish Quinta had run in and just ate it now. <laughs> <laughs> Got massively sick. <laughs> but wait, what, with the food, like... Because food, even when it's cooked, also goes bad. So if it had... If the food was out for another day, not even in the refrigerator, but just left in front of this dead guy, wouldn't the food be rotten and disgusting as well? Yeah. Right. It took him a while to cook it. So I, it's like when you, if you leave dinner out and then get back to it the next morning or the middle of the next oh, day. Oh, I guess because so... that's right. He went back on Friday to cook the food. He wasn't necessarily trying to make it look like the victim had cooked. He was just like trying to transform the food in a way that didn't point at the reason why he was a liar. Uh-huh. Yeah. And instead was baffling. But honestly, like this guy should be a chef on Cutthroat Kitchen or something <laughs> for his ability to like take terrible ingredients <laughs> and make them pass look it edible. Off. Yeah, make it look edible. Well, I don't think any of us thought at any point this food looked appetizing. No, we so. didn't. We sure didn't. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine cooking with a fridge full of spoiled food? Ew. Oh, but then he couldn't do the salad because the salad, like all the spit, like I guess the fresh uncooked vegetables, people would know. So he threw, he threw that out along with the wife's cookbook. And who should find all of those things? Oh yeah, they had like, because they were like, this is one of those cases where it's like, they have no evidence of anything <laughs> they figured out. So they have to find some kind of arbitrary evidence off screen. And Kinta comes in, he's like, I found the trash bag in the dump. A very silly And it's moment. got fingerprints. <laughs> The bag looked gross. <laughs> yeah, so I think that that kind of we've we've cracked the mystery of the missing salad and yeah. the dead guy. There's a little bit more that happens. The victim confesses, but they had a pretty basic fight, and then he killed him, and then then they go home. So, how plausible was this murder altogether, and how like satisfying was the solution at the end? I mean, plausible, maybe. You don't know how long the. Uh... 
It's a <laughs> what's his name? Itsuki. Uh, how long he abused this guy? It could have just been the straw that broke the camel's back, and he just hulked out and choked him with his necktie. It was it was a long and windy trail with very loose bits of information to build that story. So clever kids for sure. Yeah, I feel like the writer of this episode just started with what he wanted to do, which was have a dead body surrounded by dishes and then came up with everything to justify it. <laughs> that's how you do it. <laughs> which is almost how it comes, like, that's sort of what the murderer did. He's like, yeah, this doesn't mean anything. It's nonsense, but yeah. it hides what I did. I thought this was a pretty successful one. Mm-hmm. With these, like, little ones, you've got to think about them as, like, a little puzzle. Like, they're not doing the full mystery. So the puzzle here was... Why is this food here mm-hmm. in front of this dead guy? So you're saying this murder was, this mystery was more of a <laughs> snack than a full course meal. And that they followed the breadcrumb trail to the solution. Yes, and the heat <laughs> accelerated the body's decomposition rate. <laughs> okay. All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> Beat me to it, strawberry. Anyway. Yeah, I, I liked it. Yeah, I guess like the mystery was, yeah, mystery was... Who killed this guy? But also, yeah, the why is the food there? But another mystery. I'm confused at the ending when Ryu gets picked up by what they think is his mom. But then there's like a little hint that it might not be. Is There must be some type of overarching plot um, encompassing other episodes for, for that. But as like a person who jumped into this series on this episode, that was a little confusing. But intriguing. We have no further, we don't have much further context for Yurie san, or as I have now dubbed her, Hot Mom Number Two, even though she's not really Ryu's mom. Uh, but yeah, we've seen her once before picking him up from the airport. Right. And Ryu is in general, I think the kind of context that makes that make a little more sense is just knowing that Ryu is a mystery. Like, where is he from? What's he up to? Mm-hmm. And they've portrayed him as mysterious from the beginning, which is why we really don't know much else about him. Mm hmm. Other than he has got blue hair, he likes to stare out of windows, he likes to stare off of the bow of a ship, he likes to stare off of the rooftop during a, a rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he picks good spots to be sterly and, and mysterious. And his name rhymes sterly. with the protagonist's name. Yep. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it was both like the very end of the episode and the post-credit kind of teaser this this episode as well. Mm-hmm. Just continuing just continuing that business. So now let's talk a little bit about the ending theme. It starts with leaves falling like autumn. Mm-hmm. Some CG leaves. Yeah. And it's a kind of upbeat song. It's of course not as involved as the opening theme in terms of how much it's animated. Yeah. I think the thing I disliked about this the most is it's like there's a sliding background and another sliding background and a bunch of still frames uh, uh-huh. from like episode clips. And it's like, it, it, it comes off as like a weird janky frame rate, even though everything's probably showing as it's intended. Yeah. I'm, I didn't like it. I mostly didn't pay attention to those. Like the song. I didn't like the, the visuals. Kaylani, which song did you like better? I think version number two, you know? Yeah. A little more updated. L- a little less ska. <laughs> <laughs> One of these two songs was maybe on the soundtrack of the Japanese uh, port of Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <laughs> so, yeah, we've done it. We've we've uh, gotten through this whole episode. We've solved the mystery. We've, you know, not not been too tempted by the food that we saw. Yeah, so how does this compare for you, Kehlani, in terms of 
other anime series that you've watched? Are you interested in maybe watching more of this or something similar? I'll, I'll watch a few more episodes. I, I really do love a good show where the protagonist knows more than they they should. It kind of reminds me of in a National Treasure, Nicolas Cage just always knows <laughs> this like really arbitrary information or picks up on something very arbitrary. And I think, you know, the, the cartoon is to occupy a 30-minute uh, time slot. So it goes really, really quickly. So I, I like, um, you know, when characters know too much, they're always in the right place at the right time. They solve things very quickly. It's just boom, 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 boom. So I, it seems like a good show to just kind of like tune into when you want a quick, quick mystery. Yeah, and it's nice. It's not too much leaning into the plot. So you can kind of jump in and jump out and pick the ones that sound interesting. Right? Yeah, I didn't feel lost. Like this was the first time I'd ever seen this cartoon. So I didn't feel lost maybe in the sea of characters, <laughs> which yeah. hopefully I'd get more acquainted with them as time goes on. But it was very simple for me to just kind of like jump right into the middle of this uh this series and know what was going on and be able to follow the plot. Yeah, class class Q in and of themselves are pretty much fragmented one direct dimensional characters that sort of form maybe one whole character as a collectorate. <laughs> <laughs> They're all just like very polar attributes, like very exaggerated parts of one person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, especially before when you were describing uh, the the premise of Psyche mm -hmm. and his ability to like recreate rooms in his head. Mm -hmm. It's like that's Megu's photographic memory mm -hmm. ability. But other characters maybe have that Psyche main character's confidence. So the other the other thing is, you know, we saw the connection between food and and your work and and criticism in that area. They have lots of different themes for episodes, and sometimes the things are more incorporated than not. How important did you feel the food was? And was there anything else in terms of like the business or the way they talked about it that that rang true or false or inconsequential? Um, I, I, you know, I was almost expecting the food to have more deeper meaning behind it, which it only heightened the mystery because when you find <laughs> out that it's just that this guy didn't want people to realize that the food was, you know, spoiled in the fridge. Um, you know, I was expecting because food so often in animes means so much more. I was expecting I was really reading into what style of cuisine it was. I know at one point they were talking about French cuisine and one right. of the characters didn't know what caviar was. And so <laughs> it, it was um, I was almost expecting like, well, is there deeper meaning in the food? And even when the girl like runs up to the table and she's like, oh, when I looked at the food at this angle, I thought was there <laughs> going to be some type of symbolism in the food? Was there going to be something written that you can only see in one angle of the food? Yeah. But uh, no, I, but the fact that I was expecting more from the food and I was looking really deep into the food only made it even more fun because it was actually a lot more simpler then because I think part of mysteries is that you can also overthink things sometimes and maybe this is with food too like sometimes the best dishes are ones with simple ingredients simple and fresh ingredients with not much treatment done to it and that's kind of what this this uh, episode did was that it, it wasn't overly complex it wasn't overly you know treated it was just the simple fact that this guy had to 
cleverly dispose of rotten food. <laughs> <laughs> By serving it to a dead body. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but it was kind of funny to hear about um, hit the, the guy's personality. He's going through this divorce with a woman who also works in food. And I feel like working in me working in media i've seen so many media power couples crumble because i I don't know (laughs) if there's some type of you know some type of competition between the two uh or or what but uh it's it kind of reminded me of watching you've got these two people who are both i don't know i guess they were food writers or people yeah. that were working in the food industry were they competitive i was just then trying to create what their relationship was like and why was it falling apart and uh yeah <laughs> great well the next thing we got to do uh-huh. is address this uh, email we got Ooh, an email which kind of connects to what we've just been talking about in some ways okay so this email was sent to us at dyingmessagepodcast at gmail.com and it comes from michelle And she came up with this question after listening to episode six of our podcast, which was the episode with the art gallery murder. We mentioned it earlier. And in that, there's an artist who leaves behind a dying message, uh, hint to his killer, in a form that is very specific to him as an artist and his specific skills. So her question is, based on your profession's hobbies or interests, what do you think your dying message would be if you were murdered and had to leave one? Oh, I love that. That's a really good one. I guess it depends what's, what the scenario is, right? You have to use what's at hand. Well, assume you have what you need. I guess I'm a developer, so I have to mash something on the keyboard, but I don't know that I could write any good code while dying, so that's tough. Mm. It also depends who kills you because that determines what kind of message you need to leave. Mm-hmm. A coding mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. Mine is definitely a board game message. Like, we've got a shelf full of board games and there are boxes full of lots of little pieces that could mean different things. Mm-hmm. Or even just the box or the art or something. Hmm. Oh, I drink my coffee black. I could dump something that hints at the murder into my coffee, and people will be like, "Why was there something in his coffee?" <laughs> oh, yeah. That. Oh yeah. Who put lactose included lactose non free milk in Michael's coffee? He doesn't drink milk? that. You mean milk, Noah? <laughs> well, I had to specify it had lactose in it. Kailani, do you have any thoughts on your dying message? Yeah, like that's. That's a good one. Um, maybe I would bake something. Like, I don't know, like bake. But I feel like I'd be so obvious. I'd be like, oh, bake cookies, but each cookie is like a letter and it just spells something <laughs> out. Or like each cookie has like chocolate chips arranged, but that's very tedious and I don't know how much time I'm going to have. Yeah, I would op- openly assert if you have time to bake cookies from scratch, <laughs> you probably should have just gone to the hospital. I'm going to say that. <laughs> that but uh, you know or it would be like a tweet you know i'd tweet something out really obscure <laughs> yeah we're in an anime before cell phones but i feel like most dying messages these days would be like social media right yeah well maybe maybe keilani maybe it's that like you're decorating a cake oh or a yeah there we go or the cookies are just coming out of the oven and you cookie cut them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cookie cutting cookies after they come out of the oven what is this uh <laughs> Uh, nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Kaylani, thank you so much for joining us talking about food, anime, mysteries, food mysteries, mystery oh, animes. Yeah. Food you. anime? It was a 
fun it was a fun anime to watch i'm glad that it, it's something new you know we need more novel and new things uh at this time so it you know i'm excited to watch more of it and um if folks were interested in checking out check please philly or some of your other work where where should they go what can they look for oh yeah yeah uh to watch check please philly you can go to whyy dot I think it's a dot com or dot org. Oh, I'm such a bad like. Oh, it's dot org. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> so to watch, check please. You'd go to whyy dot org slash program slash check please Philly. Just look for check please on there. Check please is also available through the PBS app, and I know uh, whyy has what's called the passport, so you could watch it all on there. It also still airs Saturdays at. 4 p.m. I believe. I think that's the time slot. So Saturdays at 4 p.m. on Channel 12 if you're in the Philadelphia region, if you're in like Delaware, South Jersey and Philly area. Um, If you want to read some of my stories, uh, I post a lot to Instagram. I'll share them on Twitter. Both of those handles are at Kaylani Says. That's K-A-E-L-A-N-I-S-A-Y-S. And yeah, or on my personal portfolio, um, you could see all the other nonsense that I'm up to at KeilaniSays.com. Wonderful. Um, That's much clearer than, uh, you know, baking some cookies and (laughs) hoping people can find your work (laughs) (laughs) from the pattern of the chocolate chips. So thank you again. It was a a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Michael, Mm -hmm. the next two weeks, we'll be taking a break from kind of our regular business of anime coverage Mm -hmm. and doing Dying Message Challenge, covering the book Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. You Uh mentioned that a little bit. Yes. Um, there will be three amateur sleuths competing to try to solve this murder mystery and in lots of little comedy challenges. We're bringing back Kate from episode three, Neil from episode five, and you, Michael, are the from third contestant. From episode all. Episode one, two, three, yeah, <laughs> from all of them. Um, and we've already recorded that, so maybe, like, well, I don't know, what what do you want to tell people about it? Um, don't judge me too hard. <laughs> You you gotta check it out. It's it's different. It's wild. It's wacky. It's a lot of fun. Noah's been watching a lot of doc or listening to a lot of Doctor Game Show. <laughs> I'm inspired in part by certain uh, panel comedy panel podcasts, including Doctor Game Show and British comedy panel shows. Those are all kind of influences, mm-hmm. as well as what we do here. So the novel is a Japanese murder mystery novel, and really kind of shares a lot of similarities with some of the stuff we've been watching so three weeks from today we'll do the next episode of detective academy q um, and that's something to look forward to as well but hopefully you'll check out this kind of new different thing we're doing next week uh the other thing i want to say is we love having we love making this podcast i'm really glad to have you listening and you can really help spread the word and support the podcast in a few different ways the first one of course just tell people about it share share it with folks um, the other really important thing you can do is like and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're listening. That really helps more people see it. And you can also leave us, get in touch with us if you want to email us at dyingmessagepodcast.gmail.com. Send us your notes, your messages, your questions, your theories, and all of that. You can connect with us on Facebook, Dying Message Podcast, at Dying Message Pod on Twitter. And really excited to share with you this this thing we've been cooking up for next week so stick around after the credits and there'll be a sneak preview of that yeah you might say uh that this podcast is made possible in part by listeners like you oh but of course but before we go Kaylani, 
you got to tell us about how you solved the mystery of who pooped in the kitchen sink. (gasps) Yes, who pooped in the kitchen sink. Well, (laughs) uh, my goal is to probably be one of the strangest mysteries that you'll have on this show. So you'll have to tell me afterward uh, because this is this was a wild ride. It's still a wild ride to think about to this day, but it was New Year's Day of 2012. And I had a really great New Year's Eve celebration the night before. And because the weather was shockingly warm that day, I spent the day biking around the city. So my 2012 was off to a really, really good start. That is until I started doing the dishes. So I lived in this really big South Philly row home with three other women. And there was always this continuous mountain of dirty dishes in the sink. So before you could cook anything, you had to basically clean what you wanted to use and then cook with it and then return it back to the mountain of dishes. So I'm halfway through the dishes and there's this rag shoved toward the bottom of the stack and it's covered in poop. So I start freaking out and I go to throw away the rag. And when I open the trash can, there's all these paper towels covered in poop and one of my roommate's slippers with a full on turd shoved into it, right? (laughs) So I won't use names, just letters for this story. So my roommate Kay has a dog. So I thought maybe the dog had an accident, which is really unlike this dog because this dog was really, really good and very well trained. So I asked Kay, I'm like, hey, did the dog accidentally poop in the house? And Kay says, no, I I came home early from my New Year's party because I had to work this morning and the dog slept with me. The dog always slept with her. It is super cute. Um, But something weird did happen when I was about to leave for the cafe this morning. So Kay tells me about how at 7 a.m. in the morning, she comes downstairs and there was some other woman burning pancakes in our kitchen. And when Kay said hello, she freaked out, ran out the door and left the door wide open and left the pancakes still burning on the stove. So every roommate did their own thing for New Year's. And so we had to reconstruct the evening from four different perspectives to find out who this mystery woman was. Was she, like, how did she get into our house? And was she indeed the phantom pooper? (laughs) Eventually, we did find out that our roommate V did bring a friend home from a party around 4 a.m. in the morning, and she let her crash on our couch. Uh, So we quickly solved the case of like who pooped in the kitchen sink, but there were still a lot of questions like, what was she doing for those three hours from when V put her to bed at four in the morning to when Kay encountered her in the kitchen at 7 a.m.? Also, did the poop occur in the sink or did it happen (laughs) elsewhere and she tried to clean it up because of all the poopy paper towels that were, uh, and the slipper that were in the trash can? The answer is... It was, this was crazy. Like the answers would eventually reveal themselves in the coming months in a series of notes that this girl hid in different places around our living room. I, I'm, what? I'm sorry. She, so she left behind all different kinds of surprises. Yeah. So I should. Yeah. All types of surprises. <laughs> uh, so I should also mention that there was this note next to the burnt pancakes. Uh, it, it was just a general thank you to our roommate. Um thanking her for letting her stay on our couch. Uh, But she used, we recognized the handwriting and she used an orange marker, which was how we were able to identify the notes that we would end up finding months after this poop incident. The poop incident, if you will. 
<laughs> so we were finding notes written in books. We were finding uh, notes like one my, my roommate, she was an illustrator and like she opened up her sketchbook one day and there was a note scribbled in there. There was a note hidden under the couch cushion. And one of my favorite notes was this long stream of consciousness note that she wrote on the back of a poster that was hanging up in our living room. And then she hung the poster back up. So when we were redecorating, we took the poster off of the wall. And there was like this really long note on the back of it. It was like, it was really like dispatches from elsewhere where we'd like stumble upon this note and we'd shout to the rest of the roommates like, oh, we found another clue. And everyone would huddle (laughs) around to hear like the next part of the riddle. And all of the notes were really, really abstract. Like there was one I think was a note of her regrets from the previous year. Another was her hopes for 2012. Uh, there was a note that had a line that was something along, uh, something about like how amazing our roommate was for letting her stay in our house. And quote, she felt bad for being all stinky on your couch. So I theorized from that note, I was like, maybe she pooped on the couch. But I don't yeah. know. It's truly. T- oh no! And you never cleaned it. I mean, she. I, I guess she cleaned it. Like I don't know. So yeah, it's still a mystery to this day. We don't know where the poop happened. Don't know when it particularly happened. But yeah, that was a wild ride. Oh boy, what a person to have in your home. Yeah, I really like how you talked us through your deductive process. <laughs> um, you know, talking to your roommates and reconstructing the previous evening. Oh yeah. Yeah. And my other thought is, was she writing the notes and hiding them so that you would find them, but that they would be difficult to find? Or was it just like, I'm going to write these notes and I'm going to be weird about it? She was busy for having only four hours. Three hours. It was like from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. And and then found time to burn up some pancakes. There was a lot. There was a lot of other little things, too. Like I had all of this holiday booze on the kitchen table and she took like massive drinks of each bottle so there was only like a little bit in each bottle left on the table of course to make the pancakes she used up nearly all of our eggs I don't know why pancakes needed that many eggs um but it was just it was it was a wreck (laughs) honestly aside from the poop the thing that incriminates I find the most incriminating is that she wrote in your books like she didn't put notes in your books she wrote on them yeah, yeah. We, uh, like, randomly just, like, opened a book and was like, oh, my God, there's, she wrote a note in here. Well, I'm glad you solved most of that mystery. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for, like, one day for me to open a book that I haven't opened in, like, a decade. Yes. And then find another note. And maybe that'll, you know, solve all of, answer all of the questions that I have. The last remaining clue. Yeah. Poopa Festa. And that closes the case on this week's Dying Message, the Detective Anime Mystery Podcast, episode 12, in which we have a snack. Podcast cover art created by Miriam Bloom. Music excerpted from Solve the Damn Mystery by Jesse Spillane. Thank you again to our mystery guest, Kaylani Palmasano. Coming up, who committed the murder in the Crooked House? Who will be crowned Detective Champion? Is it too soon to premiere a spin-off podcast? All that and more when we next examine the scene of the crime for that fatal note, the dying message. And now, a sneak peek of Dying Message Challenge. Catch this two-part podcast spin-off event releasing right here on September 14th, 2020.
This is Dying Message Challenge, Murder in the Crooked House. We are going to solve so many mysteries today. But first we've got to solve the mystery of what is going on here because this is not exactly our regular podcast. Starting with Who Am I? I'm the bespectacled host of this fiasco, Noah Max Levine, taking off my detective hat and putting on my game show gloves. Bespectacled? They don't know whether or not I'm wearing glasses. <laughs> Did you say game show claws? Game show gloves? Isn't that a thing? What game shows are you watching with gloves on? <laughs> gloves, you, you know, imagine like... if Alec Trebek wore gloves? You'd be so creepy. You, you dress up really fancy for the game show. You put on your gloves. In the eyes of the listener, I'm also wearing glasses. It's it's all great. They have a good vision of what of what's going on here. I mean, I would argue that Alex Trebek can wear whatever he damn well wants. So that's true. He can he can wear a mustache or not. It's documented truth. Yeah, you can tell someone's age whether or not based on whether or not they remember Alex Trebek with the mustache. There's a uh, a guy I I met in Philly storytelling world a couple months ago who claims that he's the one who first encouraged uh, Trebek to shave off his mustache. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's one of those claims it's very hard to verify. Yeah. But, like, why would you make it up other than the fact that that sounds hysterical and awesome? <laughs> we'll change the way we look at him. This is now a Trebek mustache podcast. Yes, exactly. I do have a, uh, facial hair and glasses. So there you go. Mustache in the Crooked House. So our normal wait, podcast. Wait, I have to. St- Hold on. My. Yeah. My post-it notes in my copy of the Crooked House are mustache shaped. <laughs> those are the mustaches in the crooked house i love it i love it i want some of those so um our normal podcast is of course dying message the detective anime mystery podcast where we watch anime with a mystery guest if you're a regular listener to that podcast you'll probably enjoy what we're doing today it's a little bit different we'll still be cracking jokes spoiling the ending of a japanese murder mystery but this time it's a book and it's kind of a game show So what is exactly going on here? What is Dying Message Challenge? This is a competitive book club. I've invited three amateur sleuths who have all read the beginning of Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. During our podcast today, they're going to compete in a series of silly challenges and make official guesses on the solution to the murders in the book. Now, for you all who are listening, you don't need to read the book to follow along, but we will be covering up to page 281 in this episode, and we will be spoiling the solution to the murders in the next episode. So if you want to play along don't want to be spoiled and want to read it for yourself, you have to get your hands on Murder in the Crooked House by Soji Shimada. After we're done today and I have everyone's guesses, I'll send everybody away to read the end of the book so that we can come back in one week's time with you all and find out who won and all of that. Some of us might even reread the beginning of the book uh, between (laughs) this week and next. Just hypothetically speaking. Just hypothetically.